0: Welcome back to another episode of Murder Mondays with me, your host, Nicole. Heather Elvis, born June 30th, 1993, was a native of Horry County, South Carolina, and graduated in 2011 from St. James High School in Merle's Inlet. Her parents allowed her, as their oldest daughter, to move out on her own and get an apartment shortly afterwards in Carolina Forest, which she shared with a roommate from out of state. She worked as a hostess at the Tilted Kilt in Myrtle Beach and at the House of Blues in North Myrtle Beach while studying cosmetology. In June 2013, Heather took notice of a man named Sidney Moore, a 37-year-old man who repaired kitchen equipment at the Tilted Kilt. She tweeted early that month. She had a taste for older men. Her roommate, Bree, also a co-worker at the time, recalled that Heather pointed Sidney out to her at work. Almost a month later, she expressed sexual interest in, quote, the guy who built things at my job, end quote. And she also expressed a desire to rape him. A July 10th tweet responding to a friend who had told her she has a lot of explaining to do. She named Sydney as one she would go out of her way to see. Four hours afterwards, she followed up a tweet with, quote, baby did a bad, bad thing, and I'm in way too deep, but watch me get deeper, End quote. Friends and co-workers recalled that Heather also discussed the relationship she was having with them as well. Sidney would often come to the restaurant when he was not working and deliver coffee and bagels to her. He considered asking Heather to work for him and his wife as their children's nanny as they were considering moving to Florida. Sydney said his affair with Heather was primarily confined to September of 2013. Late that month, Heather tweeted that, quote, Once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well, end quote, which has since been interpreted as referring to the relationship by then ended. Shortly afterwards, Sydney's wife, Tammy, found out about the affair and became very angry. According to Bree, Tammy made Sydney call Heather and end the affair with her listening. Sydney, she says, told Heather that she was, quote, nothing to me, just someone who spread her legs, end quote. Bree said Sydney basically tore Heather apart as a human being and made her feel horrible about herself. Tammy, who later told a friend that her husband and Heather had confined their relations to oral sex, also sent the younger woman texts and pictures of herself with her husband in sexual situations. To make sure Sydney remained faithful to her, Tammy handcuffed him to the couple's bed every night. He said later, she changed his phone's password and was the only one who knew it, and she would accompany him whenever he traveled outside of the house. Sydney agreed to all these restrictions in order to save their marriage. Tammy also made Sydney get her name tattooed above his crotch on his lower stomach. However, Tammy continued to contact Heather, texting her things like, quote, Hey, sweetie, ready to meet the miss? End quote. Threatening her physically or implying that she was going to kill her husband. On November 1st, Heather texts back that she was no one you need to worry about. Not anymore. A text that said, quote, By the way, Dad no longer has his phone, end quote. Referring to Sydney, drew a period in response from Heather, her only other direct response to many messages she received from Tammy. Tammy also tried to get Heather fired from her job at the Tilted Kilt. Calling the restaurant regularly and telling them her husband would stop repairing their equipment as long as Heather worked there. At one point, Sidney reportedly managed to begin texting Heather again, telling her that his wife had not objected to the affair itself, since she also had a lover of her own, but to him, it seemed like he was lying about it. Heather asked him when he would have his phone back, and he said the relationship was over. She agreed but she said she wanted Tammy to stop calling the Tilted Kilt. Quote, I lost hours today because they sent me home after she kept calling, end quote, Heather said. On November 5th, when Heather last saw Sydney, at least before the day of her disappearance, she retweeted a joke by comedian Daniel Tosh that seemed to be indirectly referring to the affair. Quote, he's married, fellas. You can either cheat on your wife or murder her. Never both. That's when you get caught. End quote. The couple and their children left South Carolina and drove all the way to Disneyland for a vacation on November nineteenth and did not return until December the eleventh. At the time of Sydney's return, Heather, according to her friends and family, was moving on from the affair. She had gotten a job at a salon downtown Myrtle Beach and was to start just before Christmas. She was eagerly anticipating this job. She began also attending church regularly with Bree. However, Heather had put on weight and co-workers at the Tilted Kilt noted that her uniforms had gone up three bra sizes. Heather was concerned that she had become pregnant, possibly by Sydney. Her manager at the Tilted Kilt said she had taken a pregnancy test at work, but it came back as an error. On the night of December 17th, Heather went on her first date with another man, Stephen Chiraldi. Starting at 10 p.m., he drove her around in his car looking at Christmas lights in the area. They later drove to a parking lot at the Inlet Square Mall, where he told her to drive a stick shift. She was so proud, she texted her father and sent a picture of her driving. Stephen dropped Heather off at her Carolina Forest apartment around one fifteen a.m., He is the last known person to have seen her alive. We are now going to pause for a brief word from our sponsors.
1: Hey, South Carolina homeowners, are you tired of paying an extremely high power bill, giving your hard-earned money away month after month, only to see the power bill continue to rise with no end in sight? Then pay attention for a no-upfront-cost solution for you. Top-Tier Solar Solutions is the premier full-service solar company of the Carolinas. As a veteran-owned company that only uses American-made products, they are fully accountable and responsible as your professional guide when deciding to make the switch to go solar. Top-Tier Solar Solutions have the industry's best 25 year full warranty and use the highest quality of products available. All of their installations are done by one of their own installation teams, making them one of the only full service solar companies on the East Coast. Text the word solar to 803-429-3337. That's solar to 803-429-3337 to get started on your free no obligation solar quote and see how much you will be saving with solar. Top tier solar Solutions looks forward to serving you. Again, text SOLAR to 803-429-3337.
0: Tell me how you knew Heather.
2: I actually worked with Heather when I lived in Myrtle Beach at Tilted Hill.
0: Okay, so you knew her quite well?
2: I knew her pretty well as well as a server knows another server.
0: Roughly how long did you guys work together?
2: I would say it was probably a year, year and a half that I can even remember. It might even have been more than that. She was a hostess and I was a server, so sometimes the it's not the same lineup, if that oh, makes any sense.
0: I got you. Did y'all ever hang out or did you just simply co-workers?
2: No, we hung out quite a few times. Actually, Bree, one of her best friends, was a common friend of ours. So we actually spent a lot of time at Bree's house together. And we went to a couple bars together, too.
0: Was she pretty outgoing? Did she ever meet a stranger?
2: Not really, no. She was pretty outgoing. She was fun. Honestly, she was funny. She would crack jokes on herself and other people. It didn't matter. She was just always trying to laugh.
0: There was a point where she was possibly worried she may be pregnant and that she took a pregnancy test at work, but it came back with an error symbol. Did she ever mention anything to you that she may thought she was pregnant or anything like that?
2: Um, I remember she took one. I don't remember her ever telling me what the What happened with it, I just assumed that it was negative, or I didn't know about the error. I knew that she was not using protection with him. Like, I knew that it was just very open that they were a thing, and it wasn't hidden from Tammy either. That's how she made it seem. After the first couple weeks that Tammy kind of knew and just didn't really give a rip, And then the stalking, so to speak, started happening after she said that.
0: Did you ever feel uncomfortable yourself working there with her or being around Sydney?
2: No, I only met him one time, and it it was just honestly for him to drop off Starbucks. It wasn't even like a, hey, how you doing? He seemed fine, dead long hair and a ponytail. He just seemed normal. It was never really threatening, not weird. I mean, she did talk about how that Tammy would call her phone all day and all night to comment about how she was a fat whore or that she had no self-respect, things like that, that she was only just a fling. Sydney was really looking for a real woman and that she would never be a real woman.
0: And were you guys still working together? You were still working at the Tilted Kilt when she went missing? Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm sorry for the loss of your friend and co-worker.
2: I understand that. It was, it, it was rough. It was It was honestly a, a very morbid time at Tilted Kilt. I know anybody that works in the restaurant industry believes that work is your family, but... It really was a family, but like the girls to this day that I know that we're working there, they still talk to each other. They still love each other. We actually just lost one of our managers. She died. It was just a really sad day. Every girl that I worked with was still talking about how much we loved each other oh. when we found that out. So, and we, yeah. every year, the girls that live in Myrtle Beach every year still meet on the anniversary of her going missing to let every, the community know but she's missed.
0: Twenty minutes later, a call was placed from a payphone to Heather's cell phone, lasting five minutes. Shortly after, Heather called Bree, who was then out of state visiting family for the holidays. Heather said that Sydney called, telling her he was planning to leave his wife and asked for them to meet. Three who described Heather as hysterical during the conversation, counseled her not to do so. After two minutes, the call was ended. Heather's whereabouts have not been conclusively established beyond 1.45 a.m. on December 18th. On the evening of the 19th, Heather's green Dodge Intrepid was found, parked perpendicular to the spaces it was in at the Peachtree Landing boat launch along the Waccamaw River, about eight miles from her apartment. The car was locked, and when opened, Heather's phone, keys, and purse were not inside. Calls to her phone went unanswered, and she was not at her apartment, nor her jobs. Horry County Police began a missing person investigation. Sheraldi, the last person known to have seen Heather, was quickly cleared. The day after the car was found, a search of the area around the boat landing found no signs of Heather. Later, searches of the river bend down to the bay by a team of escape divers from Coastal Carolina University were likewise fruitless. A set of bones discovered in the area nearby around New Year's Day were later found that they belonged to a male. Investigators were able to obtain Heather's phone records, which showed considerable activity on the preceding morning over the two hours after she had told Bree that Sydney had called her. Although they cannot say whether Heather was the one using it. Pink showed that at two hundred thirty AM a call had been made from the payphone to her phone, and the call Heather said that come from Sydney, but no one answered. Shortly after, it was taken to Longbeard's Barn Grill elsewhere in Carolina Forest, where it remained for fifteen minutes. After the phone left, it was taken as far away as Augusta Plantation Drive, roughly four miles from Longbeard's, whereupon it was returned to Longbeards for another fifteen minutes. At the end of the time period, a call to Sydney's phone was placed from it, but was not answered. The phone appeared to be in motion, suggesting it had left Longbeards. Within five minutes, it was back at Heather's apartment and remained there for another five minutes. During that time, it called Sidney's phone again, then located at his home, resulting in a four-minute conversation. At 3.37 a.m., about eight minutes after the call ended, the phone was taken to Peachtree Landing. A minute later... Three attempts were made to call Sydney's phone within the space of two minutes. All were unanswered. At 341, another attempt was made. A minute and a half later, data records for Heather's phone ended. Its location could only be identified as somewhere in the Walcamau National Wildlife Refuge. Tammy and Sydney's phone records were also examined. There had been no communication between the two via those phones from November 2nd, the day Sydney would later testify he surrendered his phone to Tammy as a condition for remaining married until 4.37 a.m. on December 18th when she sent him a text asking for the pot stickers and orange juice. Yes, ma'am, he replied to Tammy immediately afterwards. Police found video evidence further linking Sydney and Heather's activities in the early hours of December 18th. Surveillance video from Myrtle Beach Walmart showed that at 1:12 a.m. that night, Sydney entered the store, purchased cigars and a pregnancy test, and left after 7 minutes. Footage from the Kangaroo gas station on Joe White Avenue showed him making The call from the payphone across the street to Heather's cell phone at 1.35 a.m. Investigators also reviewed footage from private security cameras along the three miles between Sydney's house and Peachtree Landing. Two, at home, midway along the route and another closer to the landing, showed a dark Ford F-150 passing in the direction of the landing at 3.36 and 3.39 a.m. At 3.45 and 3.46 a.m., the vehicle returns going in the opposite direction. Its license plate is not visible. However, after analysis and enhancement of the video by both South Carolina Highway Patrol investigators and the FBI, it was determined to be Sidney's, and it was searched. The first two arrests related to the case were surprisingly not Sidney and Tammy, or anyone else suspected in the involvement of Heather's disappearance. On January 28th of 2014, William Christopher Barrett and Garrett Ryan Starnes were arrested and charged with obstruction of justice. Police said both men had posted information on social media about the case that was either false or misleading and that investigators had wasted time being diverted from the case when they looked into these posts. Both were released after posting bond. The charge against Starnes was dismissed in April, when the charging officer missed the preliminary hearing because he mistakenly believed that it had been continued. Starnes was indicted on the charges in July. Twice during February, Sidney told police that people had fired at this or brandished weapons while he was driving on local roads with his family due to publicity over his possible role in Heather's disappearance. In the former incident, Georgetown County Deputy Sheriffs, who responded, saw no signs that his truck had been hit, despite Sidney claimed that he heard bullets strike his truck. Sidney claimed later, in the addition to those incidents, He had been followed and received threats against himself and his home, and his family's pet had been killed and mutilated. Later, Sidney posted signs outside the family home laminating the threats and the impact that they had on his children. Some of them, he said, had been directed by name. On February 21st, police closed off the section of Highway South Carolina 814 next to Tammy and Sidney's house to execute a search warrant for the property. After 11 hours in which law enforcement searched thoroughly, Tammy and Sydney were both arrested at the home and charged with murder, kidnapping, obstruction of justice, and two counts each of indecent exposure. The latter charge resulted from sexually explicit images found on their phones that they were determined to have taken of themselves in public places. The obstruction charges against Sydney were later specified as resulting from his early denial in the use of the payphone, a claim he reportedly retracted only when confronted with the security camera footage from the gas station showing him making the call. At a news conference announcing the arrest, police did not go into detail about what evidence supported the murder and kidnapping charges. Sidney and Tammy posted the $20,000 bond set... the obstruction and exposure charges but later waived the bond of kidnapping charges in favor of the murder charges on which they were initially held without bond. A month after the arrest the court imposed a gag order on all participants in the case. Investigators also announced that they would later be making additional charges unrelated to Heather's case that instead involved financial discrepancies filed with the state of South Carolina on behalf of the occupants of the residence. In June, these charges were formally filed as related to Medicaid fraud. Investigators said that on a 2007 application for benefits that exceeded 10000 Tammy and Sidney had failed to disclose their income from their businesses. In the wake of the arrest of Tammy and Sidney drew heavy social media presence. Timmy and Sydney had disparaged Heather as a stalker beforehand on various sites, particularly their Facebook pages, suggesting the police had framed them and were protecting the real killers. Heather's family tried to fight back but felt overwhelmed at one point. They were barred a local newspaper which had repeated in its coverage some of the allegations made against them from a news conference they held discussing the online harassment. In early 2015, Tammy and Sydney were released from jail where they had been held for 11 months after a judge accepted Tammy's mother's house as collateral to guarantee the $100,000 bond on the murder charges. At the bond hearing, prosecutors told the court that they still had no direct evidence lining the couple to Heather's disappearance. Heather's family argued against the release, claiming that they had received threats from Tammy and Sydney and their supporters, so the court required Sydney and Tammy to agree to GPS monitoring of their whereabouts and to stay 5 miles away from Heather's family's home at all times and to avoid interacting with any of them on Facebook or any other social media. Due to the continuing threats against Tammy and Sydney, their difficulties finding work in Horry County in September, the court allowed them to just move to Florida, where Sydney found a job while the case was still pending. They were required to continue to meet their bail conditions and waive extradition from Florida should they violate them. In March 2016, prosecutors dropped the murder charges against both Sidney and Tammy without prejudice, meaning they could be reinstated later should the state decide to. The indecent exposure charges were dropped as well, along with the obstruction charge against Tammy. The charges related to the alleged Medicaid fraud remained. Heather's family said that while they were disappointed, they understood that prosecutors had to make a decision like that and hoped that further investigation and trials on the outstanding charges would eventually lead them finding out what happened to their daughter. We are now going to pause for a brief word from our sponsors.
2: Are you looking for an extremely fun and stylish up-to-date salon? Then the Color Bar is the place for you. Our slogan is too glam to give a damn. The Color Bar knows their colors and can slay anything. Located in Chapin, South Carolina near the heart of Lake Murray, our stylists stay up-to-date on all styles, cuts, and colors. Call for your free consultation at 803-932-HAIR. That's 803-932-HAIR. We can't wait to meet you.
1: Are you considering a move in 2023? Then this is the message for you. Meet George Simmons from EXP Realty. He is the top agent on one of the top real estate teams serving Lake Murray and the surrounding counties in South Carolina. After serving 20 years in the military and 10 years in law enforcement, George continues to serve the Lake Murray community by providing superior real estate representation. Call today for your free home valuation at 803-429-3337. 803 429-3337 or visit online at BuyOrSellLakeMarieHolmes.com. George Simmons looks forward to serving you. com. There have been three
0: trials so far related to this case. In June 2016, the first trial in relating to Heather's disappearance took place when a jury was seated to decide whether Sydney had kidnapped her. Over the next four days, the state presented its case. Heather's co workers testified that she had an affair with Sydney and that they, along with Heather herself, believed she had gotten pregnant as a result. Law enforcement specialists documented the phone and video records. That prosecutors argued connected Sydney to Heather the morning she disappeared. The jurors were also taken to see both Peachtree Landing and Tabney and Sydney's house. The last day of the trial was taken up by Bree's testimony. She described the affair between Sydney and Heather in greater detail and became upset recalling her last conversation with her roommate on cross examination defense asked her about sometimes heather had difficulties with her family and reportedly abusive former boyfriend who heather had dated prior to meeting sydney after the judge rejected the defense motion for a directed verdict of not guilty sydney's attorney kirk truslow rested his case making his closing argument to the jury that the case against his client was entirely circumstantial and had only proved that he and heather had an affair After deliberating for seven hours, the jury informed the judge that they were divided. Ten of them wanted to convict and two did not. Due to this hung jury, the judge declared a mistrial. As of December 18th, a new date for trial has not been set. Sidney's motion for change of venue was granted. When he is retried, it will be in a neighboring Georgetown County. On the trial's second day, Sidney spoke to the media outlet about the case. After the trial, the judge found him in contempt of court for violating the gag order and sentenced him to five months in jail. He was released after two due to good behavior. Upon release, he spoke again to the media, saying he felt the jury in the trial had not been impartial and that the whole case amounted to malicious prosecution. Court proceedings related to the case resumed after a year later. In late July 2017, a hearing was held to determine whether Tammy had violated the gag order and should be charged with contempt of court. Neither the circumstances that necessitated the hearing nor its disposition were made public. Sidney was tried on the obstruction charge, a rare instance of that charge actually reaching the stage in South Carolina shortly after. The case again focused on the call, the phone call records, and the video of the morning that Heather disappeared as the attempt to prove to the jury that Sidney's initial denial he had made from the pay phone call to Heather only to admit that when confronted by the video evidence, that hindered the process of the investigation. A cousin of Tammy's also testified that at some point after the disappearance, Sydney had shown him something on his phone which indicated that he had known more about the case than he had told police at that point, but he did not elaborate in court as to what Sydney had shown him. In a Dateline episode that aired in March of 2021, prosecutors revealed Tammy's cousin was referring to a picture of Heather in which she appeared to be clearly deceased with blood on her shirt and scratches on her face. After three days, Sidney was convicted. The judge sentenced him to 10 years in prison, the maximum for the offense with credit for nearly a year of time served over in a year earlier. Sidney will likely be paroled long before serving the full sentence, although his first application in November of 2018 was denied. As of October 2018, he is being held at Lee Correctional Institute. His lawyer said he would appeal, as the offense is largely a matter of common law in South Carolina, rather than statutorily defined, he felt it was so vague and overbroad as to be unconstitutional when applied to his client in the case. I also believe it is obvious that much more of the trial had to do with underlying allegations, he said. While Sidney had indeed lied to police about the pay phone call, He claimed it did not seriously hinder their investigation and accused prosecutors of just trying to put somebody away just so they can put somebody away. In April 2018, a grand jury indicted Sidney and Tammy on a single count of conspiracy. Prosecutors would not elaborate on the specifics of this charge, citing the standing gag order, but commentators believe that the indictment and especially the additional charge, suggested that either new evidence had been found or that they agreed to testify against each other. The only way you're going to get a conspiracy conviction is if the co-conspirator comes forward. Failing that might have been to put pressure on them or to both do so. In 2019, shortly after Sydney was convicted of kidnapping, He appealed the obstruction conviction, arguing his motion for a direct verdict should be granted because the evidence was insufficient. The conviction was sustained. He appealed that decision to the South Carolina Supreme Court, which upheld by the lower courts. Were you aware that she was seeing an older married man? by the name of Sydney? Yes. What was Heather like? Did she hide that relationship? Was she boisterous about it?
2: Well, just, I'm sure other people agree. Not not that that makes her bad or anything, but yeah, she definitely let me know he was married. She would have him run to get her Starbucks whenever she wanted. He actually even bought me Starbucks a few times. And, like, would bring it to her job. It was also very well known that they had been caught messing around on property, so to speak. It was like a running joke, actually.
0: Were you ever working when his wife, Tammy, would call?
2: I, so I know that I was there when she'd call. She expected it was her. She would kind of, like, ghost or um, just kind of say rude things over the phone and hang up. Tilde Kilt's kind of like a hooter, so people just don't agree with that. So you didn't know, but Heather assumed it was her.
0: Now, you say Tammy started stalking Heather at work, or just in general, she started stalking her?
2: That's how Heather explained it, that she would blow up her phone, call the work phone, and just over and over and just be quiet. I mean, I saw a few messages from her that I don't know it was from her. It was just an unknown number. Seemed to always have to do about the times that she spent some time with him or that she was kind of at work where they had been communicating with each other. I don't know if it was actually her, but that's what Heather was convinced of. And I mean, she didn't really have any other enemies that I knew of at least.
0: Right. Did Heather ever show signs that she was afraid of Tammy?
2: Not really afraid of her. I would say that Heather's pretty spunky. I don't think she would ever really back down from a fight with anyone, no matter their size. But I do know that Heather would say that Tammy would threaten her. I don't exactly know how she was threatening her, but she would say that she said she was going to come up to her work she was going to report her to her job which all things that heather never hid from our bosses or anything so it's not like she would have got very far with reporting heather for anything she was good at her job
0: in october 2018 almost five years after heather's disappearance Tammy went on trial, drawing national media attention. In addition to the documentary evidence that had been introduced to Sydney's trial, the prosecution introduced the threatening text messages that she had sent Heather to support the state's theory that Tammy had been driven into a jealous rage when she knew Heather may be pregnant, giving her a motive to hurt her. Shortly after the disappearance, Tammy had called Heather a psycho whore in a Facebook post and suggested that the younger woman had been stalking her and her children. Sydney's mother testified that a few days after learning of the affair, Tammy beat her husband severely. Sexually explicit texts Tammy sent to her lover were also introduced, prompting the defense to move for a mistrial since they argued... Sexually explicit texts Tammy sent her lover were also introduced, but her attorneys pointed out in the same message she had also had an affair herself and that had not bothered her since he had taken on a lover as well. Rather, it was Heather stalking the family to upset her. In a police interview played for the jury, Tammy claimed to have an open marriage. When she herself took the stand later in the trial, she said she actually has a nice conversation with Heather the month before her disappearance and resolved any issues that the two had. However, a detective who interviewed Tammy recalled that she had characterized Sydney's relationship with Heather as inconsequential. She showed Tammy a hotel room key found in Heather's car. As well as a receipt indicating Sydney had paid for the room, suggesting it had been somewhat more serious. Prosecutors brought this up on the cross examination, as well as obtaining an admission from Tammy that she and Sydney were now legally separated due to her disappointment over him not having taken the stand on his own defense during either of his trials. Tammy's lawyers responded that her only response to learning that Sydney and Heather has included a hotel room stay, was to take photograph of the receipt with her phone. Tammy's defense had to change its presentation before presenting any witnesses after five of them, her children, mother, and another who was not identified, were occupied of violating an order forbidding them from watching live coverage of the trial. A deputy testified in a hearing that he had seen them watching news coverage on a laptop while waiting to testify, although the Moor's son denied it. The judge ruled that they had and barred the defense from presenting them. After a recess, the defense then began its case with Tammy's sister, Ashley Kaysen, who disputed several aspects of the prosecution case. Ashley testified that Sidney had gotten his tattoo in January of 2012, long before he met Heather, and that she could prove that with texts between herself and the tattoo wife. She also said that Tammy did not handcuff Sydney to the bed, only that they liked to use cuffs for sexual role-playing, in which capacity would sometimes handcuff him to the bed. On cross-examination, the prosecution confronted her with her police interview where she had said otherwise. Ashley also gave a testimony about the events of the night Heather disappeared. While Ashley had been watching the Moore children until 3 a.m., she said that was not unusual because the kids were homeschooled and they often stayed up late. Tammy texted her at 3.10 a.m. and said that her and Sydney were home and the children were walked back home. Sydney Moffat, a former roommate of Heather's, testified about her previous boyfriend and recounted the incident in 2012 where Heather returned from work with bruises on her neck that she did not explain. However, she said on cross-examination that she had not had much contact with Heather since that year. Two men who knew Heather testified. One said that he had a sexual relationship with her but offered no other details and the other had possibly seen her at a bar in Merle's Inlet the night of December 20th. However, he admitted on cross-examination that it could not have been her since the security camera footage of the encounter showed that the woman did not have Heather's distinctive tattoos. On the stand, Tammy threw further counts on the handcuffing claim, saying that the couple had a sleigh bed at the time and couldn't even possibly physically be handcuffed to it. On the night of Heather's disappearance, she said she and Sydney had gone out to have sex in the truck and buy a pregnancy test since they had been trying to have another child and she had miscarried while she was in jail. The test came back negative. After returning to the house at 3.10 a.m., Tammy did not go right to bed since she had still tons of work to do around the house after returning from this long vacation in Disneyland. However, she said that shortly afterwards... It had been Sydney who took the call from Heather on his phone, but they stayed home after that. The attorneys reiterated their times and their closing arguments. The prosecutor, drawing the Moorer's love for Disney movies and parks, likened the defendant to the evil queen in the Snow White and Seven Doors. Quote, When you mix jealousy, deceit, and the use of absolute crazed women so worried about Heather stealing her husband, this is when unnatural things happen, end quote. In turn, Tammy's lawyer brought up reasonable doubt, suggesting that there were no way the Moors would have made Heather disappear without a trace in only 55 minutes between the end of the phone activity and Tammy's text to her husband about the pot stickers. After the 11-day trial, the jury convicted Tammy on both charges following four hours of deliberations. She was sentenced to 30 years for each to run concurrently with credit for time served. Shortly afterwards, Tammy said she would be appealing the verdict since it was based entirely on circumstantial evidence with different lawyers representing her. The day after the trial ended, Terry Elvis, Heather's father, appeared in court to face a contempt charge. One of Tammy's lawyers, Casey Moore, alleged that on the first day of the trial, Terry had yelled obscene insults at him at the bathroom, violating the court injunction that they were not to have verbal contact with the Moores or their attorneys. Through his own lawyer, Terry admitted the contact but denied being verbally abusive. He insisted in his defense that Moore had used the bathroom on the side of the courthouse that was supposed to be for the Elvises only. The court found him guilty and fined him $400, which he said he would pay even though the Elvis family felt the charge was misguided since the case had lasted so long. In September 2019, Sidney Moore was found guilty of kidnapping Heather Elvis and sentenced to 30 years. Tammy's appeal was heard in late 2021. She argues that the judge's decision to bar family members who were ready to testify in support of her alibi the witness stand after they had reportedly been following the trial on live stream before being called to testify in apparent defiance of the order denied her for the trial tammy's projected release date is may 9th 2043 and sydney's projected release date is january 2046 heather elvis has never been
2: found